I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll act like I don't have any problems. I'll need you to show me how to share my struggles with others. I want to have a lot of money so I can buy what I want. I'll need you to teach me that my things belong to God. That my things belong to God. I'll struggle with my looks and appearance. I'll need you to remind me that God wonderfully made me. I'll tend to think about myself before others. I'll need you to teach me that the last will become first. The last will become first. The last will become first. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll need you to show me how to learn from God's wisdom. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth. In love. In love. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. Amen. Isn't that what mothers do? Uh, if you are a mother who's been transformed by God's grace, you have been awakened to the love that God has given us through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been made brand new by Jesus Christ, then uh, one of the challenges and opportunities that God has given you is to point your children to Christ uh, when no one else will. I'm thankful for a mother who did that in my life. I'm thankful for my wife who has done that for our children. And uh, I am thankful that not only was it uh, mothers who did that in my life, who pointed me to Jesus when no one else... I, I mean, you think about it, that one little statement, that one little line, did y'all hear it? Uh, There'll be times when I think I'm smarter than I really am. I heard y'all giggle at that. That is my autobiography, right? I mean, I, and, and, and most teenage boys, that's, that's the story of our life. But I'm thankful for not only mothers, but also friends and uh, those of, a, of adulthood who literally uh, looked at me and said, you know, you need to be humble, no, really, you need to be humble, right? And, and, uh, and you're not as smart as you think you are. There's stuff that you don't even know that you don't know yet. And, uh, and so I was thankful for people in the church who, who uh, taught me. There was a sixth grade teacher that I had uh, who worked at the Pepsi-Cola bottling company in Dallas, Texas, uh, probably all his life. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and honestly, I don't know what he taught in, in that, uh, small group. Uh, I, I don't, I can't remember one lesson he taught me, uh, but he was a mentor to me. Uh, and I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful that we have a church that is made up of family and this family helps each other grow to become more like Jesus. And we've been looking at the gospel and the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it makes us brand new. The gospel itself transforms us. So when we're talking today on Mother's Day, uh, I want us to look at, at a passage of scripture that, that really helps us see how the gospel uh, is, is uh, something that does more than just save us from hell. You know, many of us talk about the gospel, and listen, we talk about the gospel as if it's our ticket to heaven. And certainly, what Jesus has done for us through the cross and the empty tomb, that is what 
uh, is the basis for us experiencing heaven in eternity. But the gospel is not merely our ticket to heaven and our fire insurance out of hell, but the gospel uh, sets the trajectory of how we live our life and, and our relationships. The gospel shapes how we live and the relationships that we have. And so we need as followers of Jesus, to hear what the gospel shares with us today. And today, I have the privilege of, of sharing this with ladies. I, I don't often give ladies advice. Because <laughs> I, I, my mama made me smarter than that. <laughs> but today, I want us to look at what God says to the ladies and certainly a lot of what we're going to be looking at today applies to the men. But, but as we look at Titus chapter 2, this passage, Titus chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Uh, and we're going to look at the seven gospel-shaped qualities of women in the church. Now, I don't want you to get all lost and, okay, what's he going to talk about? I mean, just hold on and let the Spirit of God speak, okay? These are qualities, characteristics, many of which should be part of every follower of Jesus' life. But specifically, it's directed toward the ladies. All right, so as we look at this passage, let's look at the seven gospel-shaped qualities of women. And what Paul is trying to get Titus to do is to say, I want you to tell the ladies that the gospel shapes the way we live and how we relate to other people. Do you realize that the fact that you've been rescued by God's grace, it changes the way you live. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things become new. That means that you have a new heart. You have a new way of thinking, of living, of, 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 of behaving. And this is, this is what we're going to look at today. All right? So, ladies, let's, let's look and see what what the scripture teaches us, okay? Ladies? All right, okay. Oh, have y'all read the passage yet? <laughs> Woo. All right, begin verse three. By the way, verses one and two, Paul talks to the men. And come back Father's Day for that one. All right, so verse three. Titus chapter two, verse three. Here it is. Older women, uh, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, <laughs> obedient to their own husbands. All right. Y'all look in your copy of Scripture. Is, is it still in your copy of Scripture? Obedient to your own husbands? Is that still there? Does anybody not have it in your copy of Scripture? We had one person not have it in theirs. So there's another one. Okay. Yeah. No, that one's not in my Bible, right? I, 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 not there. Okay. And I appreciate your honesty. It's still there. You just aren't reading it. But I, we'll talk about it. I'll try to, I'll try to help with that, okay? Um, because there's something that that means, and then there's something that that doesn't mean, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about that. 
and, and then uh, the last part of verse 5, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, that the word of God may not be blasphemed does not have anything to do or and not solely to do with obedient to their own husbands. It's talking about uh, discreet, chaste, homemakers, good. Uh, it's talking about uh, 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 being uh, 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 whatever else is in there. So, but it's pointing all the way back to verse 3. Really, it's pointing all the way back to verse 1. So as we look at this, let's break this apart. And, and what I want you to see, these seven qualities, the first one is we need to have a heart that is set to show God's beauty to others. Now, what Paul writes is, beginning in verse 3, he says that the older women likewise be reverent in their behavior. That term for reverent is a term that is uh, almost synonymous with temple, a temple. And what he's saying is that you, as a follower of Jesus, as one who's been transformed by God's grace, you need to live your life taking seriously the fact that you belong to God. You realize that, by the way. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you realize that you belong to God? Now, you belong to him. He owns you. You realize that. And this isn't just about a man or a woman. This is about every person who's been transformed by God's grace, that we are... We are owned by God. Paul calls himself a slave and a servant, and and so are we if indeed we're followers of Jesus. And and so when we're looking at this passage, he says reverent, that term for reverent points to, I'm going to live my life in service to God in such a way that when I am living for God, people see me and they say, man, God must be a good idea. You think about that. Do you realize that the people you encounter... Ladies, the people you encounter every day at work or at home or, or here in the church or, or uh, at the grocery store or uh, at the school or wherever you are, people you encounter every day who get to know you, they're evaluating whether or not God is a good idea or a bad idea based upon how you're living. I mean, it's true for all of us, but it's also true for you. Can I ask you, somebody who spends about five minutes with you, do they think God is a good idea or not so much? If we are going to live in such a way that we are saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ, then that means that our hearts need to be set on a behavior that reflects God is a good idea. That I'm living my life in such a way that people look and they say, wow, I want some of that. Um, the, the, we graduated two daughters yesterday from college. <laughs> two out of four. And then their weddings and such. <sighs> anyway, so uh, yesterday we had uh, my wife and my mother went to... Uh, Lynchburg, uh, my oldest daughter graduated from Liberty University, and uh, my dad and I graduated, uh, my dad and I went to my second daughter's uh, 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 graduation at Christopher Newport University. So we had, we had divide and conquer, and, and uh, it was great. We FaceTimed, you know, the different 
different uh, graduate moments. Uh, anyway, so we graduated two of them. Now, now, one of the things about all this graduation stuff, beginning on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, there's been a lot of eating going on. <laughs> and a lot of food. We've eaten at a lot of different restaurants. And, 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 uh, and, and part of that, those restaurant hopping, I mean, here's, here's the thing. There are some restaurants that, meh, they're okay. I mean, I, 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 they were okay. I, I mean, I, I, I got some calories to burn. That, that, that's about as good as I could say about that restaurant. You know, I mean, there are some restaurants you go to, and that's what you, you, you go, you eat, you leave, and you say, eh, no big deal. And you never talk to anybody about that restaurant. You never say, boy, you are, I mean, you don't even think about it. You leave that one in the dust behind you. You're not even thinking about it again. But then there are some restaurants. You go in, you sit down, and, and you have... You, you, you take your first bite, and it's like an explosion of joy on the inside of your mouth. I mean, there is a celebration in your senses of all the flavors that begin to awaken inside you, and you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, whoa. I mean, that's the kind of restaurant. When you go there, you're leaving that place, and you're saying, I want you to go to this place. I mean, you see people on the street. You're walking down the street. You say, have you eaten at so-and-so place? You need to go. They say, who are you? I don't, I just got finished eating. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. It'll change your life. <laughs> Ladies, can I ask you, when people encounter you, do, do they know that God has done that and more in your life? Hey, Listen. When you've been feasting on the presence of God and you have allowed him to shape your life through the good news of Jesus Christ and you've been rescued from your sin and you've been awakened to a new life and you have purpose and meaning and joy and happiness and, 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 and you have hope in the midst of even the darkest of dark days, you have feasted on the presence of God and you leave that presence, you've got to let somebody know. You've got to live in such a way that your behavior reflects that feasting. When somebody spends five minutes with you, do they think God's a good idea or not? A heart that's set to show God's beauty to others. That's where your life has been changed by him. Are you showing anybody that? And if you're not, hey, listen, if you're not, you need to stop and evaluate a little bit. Stop playing church games. Blah. Bland, tasteless, stupid games. Stop playing church games. Stop acting like you're something you're not. <laughs> Feast on the presence of God and then live the changed life. Now, that applies to every follower of Jesus, not just the ladies. But in this context, and on Mother's Day, guess what? I get to talk to the ladies about it. All right, so that's number one. The second characteristic not only should we have a heart that's set to show God's beauty to others, the second one is we need to have words tamed to praise God and bless others. I want you to see in verse 3, older women, likewise, be reverent in their behavior, okay? And then second, not slanderers. I don't probably need to spend a lot of time on this one. How many of you know being a slanderer is a sin? 
How many of y'all? A slanderer, someone who demeans, diminishes, disrespects, destroys another with your words. Whether you're saying stuff that's true or not is irrelevant. The intent of your heart is to hurt somebody or to build yourself up at the expense of someone else. A slanderer. Churches are always filled with this, and, and we scream at, at, at other sins that, that people are doing out there. We yell at those, but this sin we ignore because we're all guilty of it. I, the only thing I'll say about this, well, I'll say a couple of things, but one thing. The Greek word for slanderer is the same word for the devil. Diabolos. Did you know that? When you use your words to hurt somebody else just to make you feel good or look good, when you use your words to demean, diminish, disrespect, disregard, destroy someone else, make no mistake, the devil is happy, but God, his heart is breaking. Your life has been shaped by the gospel, not by the devil. Stop living like your mouth has been influenced by the enemy of God himself. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, and why I tried to say this a little bit differently. In Ephesians 4, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that nothing corrupt, rotten comes out of your mouth. But only the words that are fit to build others up. Are you building others up with your words? If you're not, shut it up. And that is non-gender specific. Stop it. Today, God has given you the opportunity to allow the gospel to shape your life and how you relate to other people. So don't leave this room. Go out in the hallway. Give yourself a good excuse to talk bad about somebody, diminish, disrespect them, to demean them or to destroy their reputation with your words just because you feel like it. And by the way, when you talk about what somebody wore on a Sunday morning in a negative way, that's gossip and slander. When you act like somebody's hairdo is out of whack and you say things not to build them up but to tear them down, you realize that's gossip and slander. Hey, listen, God expects more from his people. The gospel shapes the way we think, the way we feel. And listen, if you, if you are around somebody and they start down these devil-toned words, you need to shut them up. You need to say, stop it. I don't want to hear any devil talk around me. Huh? Why, why wouldn't you? If somebody were to stand here in the pulpit and curse... Say, I mean a really bad one, not just one that we wink at, but a really, really bad one. You know, a rated R curse word. I mean, you would, you would kick that person out of the sanctuary, wouldn't you? You would fire this preacher if he were to say it publicly, wouldn't you? No, you might not know you would, but you probably would. Do you realize that gossip has more said against it in the Bible than the curse words that we 
abhor? Why? Because God calls slander and gossip the devil's words. Just a thought. Just a thought. So, we need, number one, we need a heart set on showing the beauty of God to those around us. Secondly, we need words that are tamed to praise God, to bless Him. I don't want to gossip about somebody else. I don't want to tear somebody down with my words. I want to praise the Lord, the one who has saved me, the one who has promised to be with me, the one who I can count on to lead me through the darkest night and the hottest day. I want to praise the Lord. I want to sing praises to Him. I don't have time for any devil words because I'm blessing the Lord. Not only that, I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to point you to Jesus when nobody else will. I want your encounter with me to lead you to believe that God is a good idea. Ladies, it's on you. This is how you're supposed to be living. This is how you've been equipped to live. The third thing we see is we need to be captured only by Jesus and nothing else. Uh, We need a life that's captured by Jesus. Now, what what Paul does, he says, okay, ladies, or Titus, tell the ladies to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderous. The third thing he says, not given to much wine. Not given to much wine. Now, I have to be honest, I did this, my mom and dad were here in the other service, so I did it in front of them, so I just want you to know I'm I'm being consistent. When it says, not given to much wine, that leaves the possibility for some wine. I know that doesn't sound very Baptist. How many of y'all are excited about that good news? (laughs) Those of you who raised your hand, you're not very Baptist either. (laughs) Hey, we got to be true to the scripture, right? We can't do gymnastics around it. I can tell you, I can tell you based upon some of my family history, uh, uh, just a little wine is probably too much wine in my home. You know, I mean, and, and, and on top of that, y'all wouldn't like it too much if I drank a little wine. But, but I'm glad, I'm glad y'all feel, find the freedom. Y'all, y'all are just excited because you, you're ready to come out in the open, stop pretending like you don't drink wine. And, and you could tell, you could tell the uncomfortable, oh my goodness, is he saying that out loud? Is it, has he seen me down at Fresh, Fresh Market? Has he seen me down there? What? Uh, oh my Lord! He did he say I could drink wine? Is he? When did you look to me for permission to do anything anyway? Right. <laughs> anyway, ladies, here's what he's saying. He's not. I mean, in the context, he's talking about alcohol, no doubt. He's saying, he's saying, ladies, you're having a stressful day, and it's been a hard, hard, hard day, and your husband hadn't listened to you, or your best friends betrayed you, and you're you're sitting there, and you have had a long day, you haven't been able to make ends meet, and you are struggling. So you come in, and here's what you don't do. You don't go get a glass of wine to take the edge off. You do not take a glass of wine to take the edge off. You don't 
You don't go and just say, hey, listen, I need, I need this bottle or I need this box. They come in boxes now, they say. <laughs> I need this box of wine in order to take the edge off. That's what I need. Look, if you need it, then you're violating what this scripture says. It's, it's you shall not be enslaved to wine. That's what it literally says. The Greek word there for not given to much wine means don't be enslaved to much wine. Don't, don't give wine the power as though it had the power to, to ease the pain or, or relieve the sorrow or the suffering. Booze can't do it. And by the way, it, it doesn't have to just be alcohol. When I was a kid growing up, I loved watching uh, Popeye, Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye the Sailor Man. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Thank you. Okay. And, and, and so Papa, if he wanted to beat the enemy who was Brutus, if he was going, Brutus, if he was going to beat him, Bluto, Brutus, the bad guy, if he was going to beat him, what did he need to have? Spinach. I also loved watching Scooby-Doo. And if Scooby-Doo were going to, going to uh, successfully overcome the mythic adversaries that he faced, what did he need? Some of y'all treating different things like spinach and Scooby snacks. It doesn't have to be a glass of wine. It doesn't have to be booze. It could be almost anything. Uh, it could be, I, I don't know, it could be, I don't know, maybe a bowl of ice cream, chocolate chip ice cream with peanut butter globbled on top and, and chocolate sauce all around it. I mean, it could be something like, I don't know, maybe. But, but here's the thing. Whenever we start looking to those things, our Scooby snacks and our, and our spinach to, uh, to, to, to make us, uh, give us strength, take the edge off, just help me make it through the night. If that's what we're trying to do, then we are enslaved to something other than who we need to be enslaved to. We need to be captured by Jesus because I got to tell you, that glass of wine, the, the anesthetization stuff of that, I don't even know. <laughs> that numbness that the wine brings will only last so long. You still have to wake up to the problems in the morning. But if you are captured by Jesus Christ, then he will deal with the problems and give you victory through the problems in a way that a glass of wine or a glob of spinach or a Scooby snack never will. Stop counting on a counterfeit to do what only Jesus Christ can do for you. Let your life be shaped powerfully and victoriously by the gospel. You might say, well, you give with one hand, you take away with the other. Well, yeah. He said I could drink wine, but then he said it won't do you any good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Ladies, Calgon can't take you away. <laughs> and a glass of wine will not do it. What you need more than anything else is to be captured by Jesus. Can I ask you, the end of a long day, maybe you're second shift in a row or whatever, and you're talking to your coworkers, and they're saying, oh, Lord, I need to go home. I, need to, I, I just need to sit, let Calgon take me away and drink a glass of wine. I'm, I'm not saying be judgmental against that. Maybe that's relaxing. But do you talk more about that than, I am so glad that Jesus gives me the strength I need 
to stand on a day like today. See, your life has been shaped by the gospel. And when people spend time with you, they're asking. After they spend time with you, is God a good idea or not so much? A life captured by Jesus. The fourth thing we see in this passage, not giving much booze. And then, and then the fourth thing is we need to have a devotion. Ladies, you need a devotion to teach others the goodness of life in God's grip. You look in verse, <clears throat> verse 3, it says the last phrase, teachers of good things. I am so glad that my mother taught me that the most important thing I could do in my life was to be close to Jesus. Ladies, you have a responsibility to teach others that the supreme thing that they can do in life is not get a good education and not, not make sure that they're pretty in front of a mirror and not make sure that they do whatever you think they need to do. The most important thing you can do is to teach them to stay close to Jesus. Are you teaching others? And by the way, it's not your, just your children that you're teaching. You're teaching people that you encounter. Are you teaching others that the most important thing, the greatest imperative in life is to be in the grip of God every single day? Ladies, you've got to live it. You've got to believe it to live it. And you've got to Believe it to live it than to teach it. Can I tell you why most kids growing up in the church stop going to the church? It's, it's not culture's fault. It's not MTV. I know MTV, probably nobody watches MTV anymore. It, it's not Beyonce or Jay-Z. The reason most kids who grow up in the church stop coming to church is because they've seen their parents look at church and life in Christ as irrelevant. Church was an event that happened once a week in a family. Jesus was not life-changing. That's what's got to change. Ladies, you've got to set the standard. Are you teaching, in this context, it's older women teaching younger women that the most important thing in your life is God and walking with Him. By the way, older was 31. (laughs) Younger was 16 and above. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but just taking a survey around here, I think most of us are older ladies around here, me included. I'm just saying, 31 and above. I See, if, if I get y'all to get mad at me about talking about AIDS, then you won't send me emails about the wine thing. So anyway, <laughs> devotion to teach. Uh, the, the fifth, I have strategy. I mean, I got, I got strategy. The fifth thing is uh, a passion to cover their family with love. All right? So exhort the young women, verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and love their children. I I don't think I have to explain this too much. But ladies, here's the thing. You are to love your husbands and your children. Husband, one. You're to love your husband. You are to love your husband and or your children the way that Jesus has loved you. 
And how did Jesus love you? Did he wait till you get your act together before he started loving you? Did he love you when you did everything right? Or did he love you before you did anything right? How did Jesus love you? That's how we're supposed to blanket our children and our, and our spouses with love. And by the way, that is what leads to the wives obey your own husbands. Um, uh, and and that, that's verse 5, if you don't remember. Well, some of you don't have it in your Bible, but it's in verse 5 in your, in your copy of Scripture. Wives obey your husbands. Can, can I just say a couple of things? The picture there is not the wife being the doormat to the husband. That's just not the picture of Scripture. The picture of Scripture and the picture in this passage is that love becomes the operative theme. And not just the love of the wife for the husband, but perhaps even more importantly, the love of the husband for the wife. And in the context of this love, it's not, it's not just uh, the wife just lays down and says, okay, lead me. No, it, it's, well, husband, let's talk about this. Let's evaluate this together. And the husband isn't, isn't using the wife as a doormat, neither is the husband a doormat for the wife. But rather, it is the husband and wife working in concert together as the Lord has given them to do, walking together hand in hand with this one common theme, we want to go God's way. So it's not my way, nor is it her way, but it's our way as we follow God's way. Look, I have four daughters, and my wife ain't anything like a shrinking violet or a wilting flower. My wife is as strong as 10 acres of garlic, but she smells a lot sweeter. It has been our goal to raise four young, independent, strong, maybe even strong-willed women. And we've come pretty close. My girls are not going to be any shrinking violence. It's going to take a strong man to marry one of my daughters. And that's the way it should be. But there is a path that the Lord has set. And even though you might not recognize it in your copy of Scripture, it is still there and not just in verse 5. But there is a path that God has set. It's reflected in this, wives, obey your own husbands. By the way, it doesn't mean obey anybody else's husband, just your own. The term for obey is hupotasso, and I wish I could make it mean something other than obey. But there is no translation of that word in the Greek language that does not mean to get under the leadership of another, hupotasso. The best I can say to you is this, God has a pattern, and if you follow the pattern, you will find blessing. If you ignore the pattern, it's not going to go so well. That applies to both men and women. But the goal is love. Now, let me tell you something. If I am loving my family the way I'm supposed to love them, as Christ loved the church, I'm not sitting up on high giving out orders about what they're supposed to do. I'm down with them. 
and we're talking through it. And we're going to discover and discern what God wants us to do together. And then we're going to pursue it. When it's all said and done in the church, y'all know this, I hope you know this. Uh, When it's all said and done in the church, there are a lot of people in the church that help us make decisions about what we do as a church. Do you know that? You realize that? I mean, we got teams and committees and councils and everything. And and we believe it's important to have a lot of people involved in a process of decision-making. But when a decision is made, who do you look to? I know who you shoot at. (laughs) We still have lots of conversation and talks about it, but when it's all said and done, the leadership falls on me. And that's the way it's supposed to be, and that's okay. Same thing's true in our home. In the context of love, we find not my way or her way, but God's way. It's our way as we pursue God's way. So let's move on. All right, so that's number five. Number six is a a character of beauty adorned by God's grace. All right, so I want you to see in verse 5, he says, says, uh, to be discreet and chaste. Those two terms, discreet and chaste. Discreet is a Greek term, sophron, and it means to be disciplined in how you relate to other people, to be disciplined. And chaste is hagnas, that simply means to be pure, uh, sincere without uh, hypocrisy. Put those two together. Here's what he's talking about. I'm trying to explain it. All right, so my girls, I want them to know one thing, that they are adorned with beauty, not by what they wear or the makeup on their face or the jewelry or the clothes or what anybody else has to say about them. They are beautiful because God, in his great grace, has named them special treasure. That God, in his beautiful majestic plan has shaped them and formed them to be masterpieces of his creation. And when we as followers of Jesus chase after God's purpose and plan and will, then we will experience the full measure of beauty that belongs to us as those who have been saved, rescued by his grace. The picture here is for ladies especially. I think it does apply to ladies especially. Guys like me, I was born ugly as mud and I'll die ugly as mud and that's okay. I've been bald since I was 15, you know what I mean? Or 20. I, I, I'm not worried. I'm not some of us others. Yeah, some yeah, you know. But I, I'm not worried about, you know, whether you think I'm pretty or not. I, I'm a guy. I, I, I don't worry about that. I don't smell pretty and I don't look too pretty either. But I know having a family of four daughters and a wife that mirrors are very important in my home. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, and they do worry about how they look. You want to know what my job is, what Edie's job is with them? Is to teach them discreet, chaste, those two terms, to teach them that what really matters is the character that God is building in them by his grace. That he is adorning them with beauty by his grace. That while they are 
disciplined in their relationship. I'm not worried about what anybody else says about me, only what God says about me. I'm going to be chaste in my uh, dealings. I'm going to be sincerely pursuing after God. Ladies, only you can teach other ladies that. You realize that. I can't do it because, I mean, I'm a guy. But you need to teach other ladies beauty is being adorned by the grace of God, period. All right? So the last one is uh, homemaker and good. Those are the last two phrases in in verse 5. And and simply it means we need to have hands that faithfully fulfill with kindness the works that God has given. Don't let homemaker uh, tie you up. If you had a problem with obedience, and you probably have, you may have problems with uh, homemaker there, but, but homemaker is literally two words put together as one. Uh, work and home. That's why it says homemaker. It's two Greek words. The first one, ergus. The second, oikos. You put those together, work, home. So it's not really saying that your only vocation, although probably in Crete, that's the primary role of women was, was working in the home. Uh, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying if that is what's been given to you, to work in the home. Uh, by the way, everybody had responsibilities to fulfill in the home, whether it was a man or a woman or a slave or a child. Everybody had responsibilities f- to fulfill. And the ladies, I mean, they, if it was a big home, I mean, they had a 16-hour-a-day job seven days a week. They had to manage the household, they had to manage the staff, they had to manage the food, they had to manage the resources, they had to manage the finances, they had to manage everything. So it's not a small thing regardless. But the principle here as followers of Jesus is, hey, listen, you need to whistle while you work. You need to whistle while you work. You realize that what, what that term agathos, good, he's not talking about being a good homemaker. He's saying be a homemaker or whatever responsibility that God has given you, fulfill it faithfully, agathos. What does that mean? Kind. Happy. Be pleasant. Do you realize what a difference your witness for Jesus would make if you were pleasant while you dug the ditches? Seriously. You realize what a difference your testimony would be for Jesus if you demonstrated that, hey, listen, I may not like everything about my job, but I've got Jesus and that's enough for me. So I'm going to faithfully fulfill the responsibilities that I have and I'm not going to grouse and complain and grumble about it. I'm going to whistle while I work because this work does not define me. It is not my identity. My definition comes from the living God who has rescued me from the pit of hell and given me life eternal through his son, Jesus Christ, who has poured his spirit within me and give me immediate intimacy with the living God. So yeah, I got to dig a ditch today, but that's okay because I'm digging the ditch with Jesus. And so I'm going to whistle while I work. Ladies, that's, that's kind of what he's talking about to you, to me as well. You know, the gospel does shape our life and, and, and it shapes how we relate to others. I remember many of the lessons my mom taught me as I was growing up. But she showed me the gospel most specifically on the day I broke her heart. 
I'm sure it wasn't the first time I broke her heart. And it wouldn't be the last time I broke my mama's heart. But this was the day that I know I broke her heart. The first time in my memory that I could see the pain etched with indelible ink across her soul. What I did doesn't matter nearly as much as what she did about it. I had betrayed her with my own rebellion. And I could hear the pain and the grief and the disappointment in every word she said. But how she responded to me breaking her heart taught me more about the gospel than a a dozen sermons. See, I, I deserved... I deserved to be locked in a cellar with, uh, 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 with, with just bread and water for the day. Uh, and I deserved to be locked in the cellar for a year with just bread and water to eat. But what I deserved is not what she gave. On the day I broke my mama's heart, instead of overwhelming me with judgment... She swallowed up my sin with her forgiveness. Discipline would come. But it was wrapped in a forgiving love that I'll never forget. Do you realize that you have broken God's heart? That... That we have all broken God's heart. Now, how you've done it is not nearly as important as that you've done it. You've broken God's heart by the rebellion of your behavior. Your sin has broken the heart of God. And, And specifically, which sin is, well, it's just not that important. What is important is how God has responded to your sin. You see, what we deserve is to be locked in a cell of our shame for now and for all eternity, living under the weight of condemnation and judgment. That's what we deserve. But God's response was to swallow up sin with a painful forgiveness that cost him his son. He sent Jesus on a mission to stand in our place of judgment so that we might be forgiven forever. Do you know that you've broken the heart of God? When I told the story in the earlier service, my mom was listening and, and, and my mom came up and she said, Eric, when did you break my heart? What story were you telling? She had forgotten. She remembered as soon as I told her. But she had forgotten. You know, when God forgives us, He forgets our sin. And that's what He offers you today. The gospel sets the trajectory of our life toward hope and peace 
and joy. Let's bow our heads together. Father, as we have heard the good news, let us live in the good news. Let us experience the full measure of joy that you offer and help for us to taste all that you provide. Father, be with the be with the mothers here today and be with all the ladies and I pray that you would you would help them to understand and know that you love them and that you provided a way for them to experience the fullness of life. And now as we leave today, I pray that you would draw to yourself everyone whom you are calling. Thank you for the lives that have been changed by your grace. Thank you for the power of your love. Now bless all who gathered here and help for us to live in, in the good news that you have rescued us. God, I pray that everyone who encounters someone from this family of faith this week would leave that encounter and say, yes, God is a good idea. Now be glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.